It's the false neutral. I'm Pete Deliox. After the tragic death of Eric Tritko, I've had to take back. <laughs> I can't even do it. <laughs> I'm back just for this one episode with Eric. Eric invited me back uh, for some strange reason that none of us are quite sure about. Well, I think we all have good reason. I think we all know the reason why. Uh, this isn't. Yeah, this, I just, this isn't. This isn't the Soviet Union where you know you you don't erase someone from history who's like one of the founding people. You know, Tr- i.e. Trotsky. <laughs> no, I uh, I still have uh, administrator access to our Facebook group, so I can still post things in the Facebook group. Uh, but yeah, I just got back from Amy Aim Expo. Amy Expo, however you want to pronounce that, it's they have kind of a contrived abbreviation. It's capital A I M E and then X P O in lowercase after that. So it's it's actually the AIM Expo or A I M E, the American International Motorcycle Show or Motorcycle Expo. And uh in Columbus, Ohio, first year they've had it there, which I'm not sure wasn't was a real great move, but uh they moved it from Florida, which has every tourist amenity in the world to a place that uh didn't have parking around the uh convention center adequate to the traffic, so it was it was yep. a bit trying. Having spent time at the Orlando Convention Center for PRI, that's not exactly the greatest place in the world either. I will I will say that. Plus, I don't know that Florida right now would be a great place to be having anything, uh, given the yeah, well, yeah, that, right now. Yeah. You know, I mean, granted that couldn't have been planned, but you know, but still. So you were uh, at the AIM Expo for work. Yes, my employer sent me, and I was there with uh, the head of the engineering department and uh, our power sports sales manager to kind of do a fact-finding, see what people were doing as far as uh, forward lighting, safety lighting, you know, turn signals, tail lights, all the lighting equipment on the new bikes, uh, specifically looking at uh, UTVs, uh, side by sides, and utility side by sides, and what they're doing, and uh, also just kind of making some contacts, seeing who else we'd want to talk to. Uh, you know, there's some, uh, especially on the UTV side, there's some uh, new players that are doing well, and there are some uh, American companies that have just changed hands. So, without going into too many, too much inside baseball about that that uh, we were going around and i took a whole lot of close-up pictures of leds you know uh, in various places on motorcycles so uh, because of that it was a one-day turnaround so i wasn't able to spend a whole lot of time just having fun going around and looking at stuff that i wanted to look at but you know when your boss is paying your way you got to treat it like a work day yep. um i did uh I was texting back and forth with uh, Rusty, 
my friend Jim, who's been on the podcast before, and he has expressed interest in some kind of a little bike like a Grom or something like that. And the a couple of days before had texted me and said, hey, have you heard about this Kimco Spade, which is the 150cc uh, little approximately the size of a Grom, uh, but it's got an upright 150cc engine in it, a uh, little bit more retro-looking and I said, yeah, they seem like a pretty good deal. And they had some there that you could demo. So I said, hey, I'll, I'll do Rusty a favor. I'll go out and demo one of these. So after we had gone through, we had a couple of hours before we needed to head to the airport. And we walked out to the, all the demo tents that they had. And I went and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll demo one of these. Well, it was get everybody a loaner helmet, get everybody signed in, sign the waiver, get everybody lined up. And when it was all done, I'd been standing around for 20 minutes and everybody, and I was like, oh no, there's only three spades and these guys already have them. I was like, okay, I'll take one of the K pipes maybe because, you know, I had an interest in one. We'd looked at him before. Uh, nope, there's only two of those and they're already taken. So I was like, okay, everybody here, there's... There's five people, and they've taken the three spades and the two two K-pipes, and everything else was scooters. And I was <laughs> like, oh, I'll, you're like 200, new scooter. I'm, I'm interested in that one. Well, no, we don't have those to ride. That's just for display. <laughs> okay. So I had a choice between a uh, the new Exciting 400 and the new... I don't know if it's X-Town or Crosstown. It's X-Town. I believe it's probably pronounced Crosstown because their old model that it's replacing was the Downtown. Uh, so the Crosstown 300. And I thought, well, what the heck? I'll, I'll get on the, the, the uh, uh, 300 just because, you know, it's a little bit lighter, more affordable, maybe something that they would be more relevant if you're not really into scooters. So I, okay, I'll hop on this and went out and for the first five miles, it was all, they're doing a ton of construction downtown around the convention center. So it was going over steel plates and, uh, you know, they had big cables with the OSHA covers going across the street that we were riding over and, uh, stopping every, block for a street light and there's cones on one side of you and barrels on the other side of you and it was just not any fun at all uh, finally we got far enough out that we got on some nice roads and uh, it was uh, it was pleasant enough yeah. uh, I've talked to some people since then that told me that as far as that that have also ridden it at the show that were there you know Thursday Friday Saturday and and wrote it after the fact and they said no as far as scooters go it's crap (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh okay well eventually though we got out on some nice roads and uh i enjoyed it it was nice but it wasn't anything spectacular i will say it's really weird that it has abs front brakes and no abs in the rear and scooters tend to carry a lot of their weight on the back and they have really small tires, I chirped the back tire routinely coming to a stop. And it was like, okay, uh, the brakes were a little bit high effort. (laughs) No, they they stopped well. 
And having ABS in the front, I wasn't afraid to really grab that one, but I still felt like it didn't quite bite real well. Uh, the other thing was the seat is absolutely horrendous. It's atrocious. It's inexcusable how bad the seat is. And everybody says that. And I talked to the guy about it, and he goes, yeah, we're aware of it. I'm like, what's the deal? And he said, well, we had a really nice seat on it. And shorter riders, namely women, which is a big part of their target demographic for this model, all said they felt like they couldn't flat foot. It was very square and wide, so it made it hard to put your feet down. So they kind of chopped off the side, made it kind of a, uh, I guess that would be a, what is that, a rhombus? Or a, uh, uh, where they're not parallel, it's kind of a flattened pyramid shape where they chop off the sides of it at an angle. But in order to support weight, they put in really heavy, thick foam on the outside. Well, the inside is really soft, so when you sit on it, it caves in the middle underneath you, and you feel like you're sitting on two rails, mm. one under each cheek. I hadn't gone a mile, and I'm like, oh, this seat is horrible. And the more I rode it, the more I thought, oh, I would not buy this just because of the seat, because it was just awful. So, yeah, that was – and I got back, and it, they were gone for a half an hour. I mean, we, we took a good half an hour ride, which I was surprised. I thought they were going to be five minutes out and back. But uh, I could have ridden anything. I could have, you know, the Hondas were all lined up across the, from us farther down. They had all the new BMWs. Although I found out BMW didn't have any loaner helmets. If you didn't bring your own helmet, you couldn't ride the BMWs. But uh, uh, I know uh, the head of our engineering department drove the new, uh, not new, but the Indian Scout. And oh, yeah. really liked it and said the sp- suspension worked better than he thought it was going to. And he was like, ah, I could get used to that. Uh, so I was really disappointed that I ate up all the time that I had available for a test drive on the Kimco 300 scooter. <laughs> I was like, man, if I could have done that over again, I should have I walked away and said, no, thank you, and gone stood in line somewhere else. Because it was the trade day. They didn't have real long lines. But that's just the way it goes. I, I have to say, I was, I, I finally saw the CB three or the CB six fifty F in the flesh, which is the non fared version of their six fifty four cylinder mm-hmm. that they've had in Europe for a couple of years. It's the same thing as their CBR three fifty F that we've had for a couple of years, but it doesn't have the big long beak on it and the fairing and higher bars on it. And I saw one on the showroom floor sat on it, and I just instantly thought, I could so do this. Uh, ergonomics are really nice. You know, the pegs are farther back, but it, you're not hunched over. You've got bars that are reasonable. I think uh, over the road, you'd probably want some kind of windshield because mm-hmm. you're sitting up pretty straight. You'd be fighting the wind. The seat, and I, I it's the same seat that's been on the CBR 650F for a couple years and I never paid attention to them. It has got a really nice seat because it is perfectly horizontal and wide in the back, narrow in the front. I got on it and I'm like, you can scoot your butt forward or back and it stays where you put it. So many bikes nowadays either have that sport bike seat that tapers towards the front. So as you get on it, you slide forward 
you know, it, it, it's not designed for you to move back on. You kind of have one spot up against the tank that you need to sit and that's it. Or they have the touring bucket, you know, the cruiser seat that right. you have a bucket towards the back that you're going to slide into and you cannot move out of that position. This one felt like I could really, you know, move around a little bit on it and wherever I put my butt, it was going to stay. And it was wide enough that you had support for both cheeks. And I thought, okay, I like the seat. I like the ergonomics on it. I think it's a gorgeous motorcycle. And I was really excited about it. And I happened to talk to a friend of mine who said, yeah, but for what it costs, it's almost exact. It's like within 50 bucks of the uh, Kawasaki Z900. And I was like, well, that's a whole different class of motorcycle. It's a 900. And I looked up the specs on it exactly the same wheelbase and they're within 10 pounds of each other wow the z900 makes like 40 45 percent more horsepower and i was like wow okay suddenly this doesn't look like a great deal because you've got so much more horsepower available to you so i started playing around with some numbers and i thought yeah but in the whole scheme of of uh the motorcycling market it's difficult to know what are meaningful specs and what aren't, you know? Mm-hmm. So I I actually put together a little graph today on my lunch hour. And I said, okay, I'm going to take wheelbase, weight, horsepower, and cost. And I'm going to make all of the values for a Grom a one. And I was thinking, and what would be something that's a, you know, still a naked. It's not a cruiser with a fairing or a big bagger or tour. But something that's still a basic naked motorcycle, but that would be bigger, that would be the the other end of the spectrum. And I thought, okay, what about like an FC10? I mean, that's a big standard. I looked at it. It's actually got a shorter wheelbase than either the 650 or the Z900. Um, it weighs exactly the same, like within a, a, a couple pounds, a pound or two of the uh Z900. So that's uh, uh, dry weight. What's that? About 440, 460, somewhere in that? I think I want to say like 460 something. Okay. Uh, But, you know, uh, I'm thinking physically it's it's the same size bike. Mm -hmm. And that's got another, a whole nother dose of power, but it's a whole lot more money too. Sure. And and so I was like, okay, what's a big standard, big standard? And I was like, ah, VMAX. Yeah, it's kind of a cruiser. But it doesn't have saddlebags or fairing on it, and it's a big bike. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make a Grommel 1, and I'm going to make a Yamaha VMAX a 10. Where would these fall? And amazingly, when you put it on that kind of a spectrum and graph them proportionally that way, I took the – because I was also thinking the the 500 twin. Okay, if you're not going to go high horsepower – you could get something a lot lighter and cheaper if you go with the 500 CB500F twin rather than the 650. Chop off two cylinders, you got a lighter, narrower bike. Realistically, the wheelbase and the weight on them, if you look at that that difference between my extremes that I defined, they're all in the 45 to 55% range. Mm-hmm. They're all right in the middle. So... Yeah, the 500 is a little lighter. The the FZ10 and the 500 are a little bit shorter wheelbase, but realistically, it's not like you're going to say, "Wow, this is a big and this one's small." They're all about the same. Then I looked at cost, or excuse me, I looked at horsepower, 
And that's pretty much a stair step up from one model to the next goes up pretty evenly from the Grom to the, to the, if that's a one, uh, 500s, like, uh, about a three, the 650 would be next. Then the 900, then the FZ 10, then the VMAC, they all kind of go up pretty much stair step up equally. And then I looked at price and they stair step stair step up almost exactly the same way, except the Z900 is the same price as the 650. And suddenly I went from, well, the 650 is underpowered to, wow, no, it's just that the 900 is a really killer deal money-wise. Mm-hmm. Because uh, regardless of their size, you pay for horsepower, except in this one position you've got an outlier where you've got the Z900 which makes 126, 129 horsepower, something like that, and and costs you eighty five hundred dollars. Wow, that's a great I'm deal. Like, There's, yeah, yeah. So I was really impressed with that. And uh, Honda has just announced that they're going to come out with a retro version of that. That's gonna that's gonna have bodywork, hearkening back to the original Z1. It's going to be the orange and root beer color combination and kind of styled and sculpted. As far as I can tell, it's going to be the same bike with different bodywork. Mm-hmm. It may have, you know, uh, well, different exhaust, but I don't think the ergonomics are going to be that much different. I don't think the power is going to be that much different. If anything, they may detune it for more mid range. But in any case, I, uh, I think that'll be an exciting bike, but it'll probably also be more money. Mm-hmm. Well, Yamaha just did that. Um, going back to a conversation I had last week with, with Garrett on the show, uh, when I was up in Canada, I actually had a chance to look at some of the Yamahas and, and they had a, uh, FZ07, FZ09, FZ10, and an R3 among bikes that were lined up. And I was Mm -hmm. surprised at how small the FZ07 was, um, Right. And I sat on it like, wow, this is, and then you sit on the FZ09 and FZ010. I'm like, okay, these are electric bikes. And then the R3 was interesting in that, okay, yeah, this is interesting race bike. What I was shocked at though was that the R3 was like 380 pounds, which is, uh, awful I, I heavy actually for looked that. it, I, I actually looked it up and you're a little bit off. Wet okay. weight on it is 368, but that's okay. still like, more than 90% of the weight of the FZ07, which is just a shade under 400, I think. It was like 389. So, I would say it was like 389 or 385 or something like that. You know, and I'm, I'm doing a little yeah, conversion. Yeah, you're, from you're, you're, within, you're, you're within 10%. Yeah. So um, so it, it, I became much more impressed with the FZ07 again. Just I looked at its size and when you, you know, you think they're like seven grand or, you know, 7,500 bucks, whatever. And then I'm like, hey, and then they show off the uh, XSR. 700 or whatever they're calling it i think i pinged you on that yet the other day uh right. when you were mm-hmm. at the show and uh sorry i'm just trying to i'm scrolling back quickly yeah xsr 700 and wow it's really cool i mean it's very you know 70s sort of uh, uh standard japanese bike but also with a little dirt track look to it and I'm like okay but then they're going to charge a grand more for that. I'm like, you got to be kidding me on that. Yeah. But, you know, they'll probably mm-hmm. sell because of that. They'll probably sell all of them. So uh, it was it was, it was interesting to, to see that. Um, but I would I would probably be more interested in the XSR 700 than the 900. Mm-hmm. Except that 
it it still has that same really it looks so much like the 900 I think you could walk past it and not even realize you were looking at a different bike if you didn't look at the exhaust pipes. I mean, I realize it's a bit smaller, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm not even sure. Room. I I don't think if I walked past one at the AIM Expo, I didn't realize I wasn't walking past a 900. Wow. Um, I think they I think they announced it live. Uh, Uh, I'm not sure when they when they actually did the reveal. Whether they, you know whether they had any at the Yamaha booth or not, but if they did, I walked past it and didn't and said, "Oh, it's a XSR, yeah, 900," and didn't even realize hmm. that it was there until afterwards, until you texted me. So, what's really interesting is that is uh, Yamaha released a picture of that being driven down the road next to an old. Uh, XS650 or TX650 from the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And it is amazing how similar they are in size. That's but, uh, good. That, yeah, it, it it was kind of like, okay, it as much as they are uh, you know, trying to market this as a uh, uh, kind of what am I trying to say? As an image of, yeah, this is a classic bike. It doesn't look it. But when you look at the size and you look at the function, I have to go, well, yeah, that that kind of is a an XS650 for the 21st century using modern technology. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, I don't think it's nearly as attractive, but that, I'm an old coot, you know? That that was the one thing is like I they the headlight doesn't, fit that needed like a eight or nine inch headlight and that one seemed small or just oddly shaped i guess uh that you're right that is the one thing that stuck out at me about that but and their little led turn signal that they have on that and the bolt and some of the other ones just doesn't go i mean i know it's supposed to harken back to old turn signals but it doesn't look it, it it looks like somebody put it on with bubblegum, you know, that it's just slapped on there. It, it's just odd. Yeah. Well, and it certainly doesn't fit with the bolt or any other cruisers. Right. But uh, yeah. they probably had, you know, here's here's three hundred thousand dollars for a development budget. Here's what we need to do. How can you do that? Because Yamaha being the king of the of the parts bin bikes. Yeah, know, what, which what, is what, actually very. I actually kind of admire about them that they that they they don't reinvent things when they can kind of just you know remix their existing designs. Yeah. Yep. Um, anything else catch your eye at the at the show? Um, I, I have to say I sat on a uh, NM4 the the bat bike from Honda their their uh, 700 automatic oh yes 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 okay it, it's hideous from the front from the back the the super huge rear tire just looks equally silly uh when you get on it and you sit in it cuz i i'd always been interested in it since uh Cajun 2 
Wheels did his review of it, and he was kind of like, this is this is kind of comfortable. This is kind of cool. I kind of like this. And from the point of view of his recording, I thought that's kind of a cool cockpit. You know, it it's kind of wide and fully fared, but it doesn't come up high, so you still get that panoramic 360 degree view like you do on a naked bike. And I got on it, and I thought the seat's kind of a bucket, but it gives you the backrest. You know, you can flip up the back seat into the backrest, so you got some support you could lean back. And the foot pegs, or the foot floorboards rather, aren't really like forward foot pegs. They're more like around where mid pegs on a sports star are, mm-hmm. halfway back on the. So they're not terribly far forward. It's got the equivalent of drag bars on it, and it's got a really wide fairing that kind of shields your hands like like Barkbusters would, but a low windshield and a low instrument panel, so it's not up in front of your face. I was like. You know, I, I, I seriously want to ride one now. I really do. Because so many bikes I've sat on in dealerships feel great when you don't have a wind blast and you're not moving. Mm-hmm. But you get out on the road and it just doesn't work. That one I would love to get out and try and see see if I would really enjoy it. But I no way would I be interested unless I could take it out for an extended test drive and really find out whether that works or not. But it certainly is really interesting. And I'm, I've been pro NM4 on this podcast before, and this didn't change my mind. I thought, yeah, that's a pretty cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things of, yeah, you're it's like, Oh, but it's hideous. Yeah. But I'm writing it. I don't have to look at it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I would just have to shield my eyes if I was approaching from the front. Cause it's just, Oh, I can't believe I, I I have that silly looking fake Batmobile bat bike thing. But <laughs> um, and you mentioned all the side by sides. Is that market still growing, or is it sort of about to plateau? Or is that hard to say? I honestly, I honestly don't know. Um, I know that um, there are all the manufacturers are really upping their game on both the utility side and the, and the sport side, the new, uh, Maverick X three from, from, uh, can am our engineering boss just dead stood there looking at it and going, this is badass. <laughs> this is badass. This is, this is just badass. I mean, it really <laughs> is, is impressive to see. And, uh, you know, Yamaha's got the new, uh, shotgun shifter with the sequential manual. I think it's their R1 motor that they put into it. They retune it, but it's got a sequential motor, uh, motorcycle transmission in it. So instead of the CVT, it's got real gears. And that one, <laughs> oh, you get in trouble with selling that. really well. Um, and I think the two of them have just completely destroyed the Polaris Razor, mm. which is now a generation old. You know, it's not two years ago. That's what everybody wanted, and now they're like, "Yeah, that." I either want the the Maverick or the the shifter cart. <laughs> uh, on the on on the utility side. There's a lot of players because uh, Textron Off-Road bought Articat. Hmm. They did not buy Articat because they wanted to sell snowmobiles. They wanted their utility 
UTV business. Um, and they're turning out some nice stuff. Uh, Cub Cadet has some really impressive utility UTVs. Um, you know, it all kind of that whole thing kind of started with the with the Gator. The, yep, the originally Deere. it was a it was a John Deere five wheel ATV that they came out with, and then they kind of expanded from there. And the uh, the Mule, the mm-hmm. Kawasaki Mule, has their new uh, one thousand something or other is really impressive. And if you the, the the problem is you have to have a market for that. Either you have a farm, you have a construction business. You have, they're not street vehicles. They're not, they're kind of like dirt bikes, but worse because you have to store it. You know, a, a dirt bike, somebody can buy a Honda XR, put it in the back of the garage, take it out on the weekends, put it on their bumper, have a little trailer, put it in the back of their, their pickup truck. These things are, ma- I mean, it's like the size of a car. And to have an off-road car for utility, you have to have a real need for it because yeah i know some guys use them for to go hunting and stuff like that but it's a whole lot cheaper to buy a a a regular atv four-wheeler that unless you're going to be you know hauling an elk you probably can get away with something a whole lot cheaper and lighter and easier to put in your garage so honestly i I don't know how far they're going to go but they certainly are hot now when uh when i had the uh the customized jeep for a uh, press car a month ago now, I guess it is, or three weeks ago. Uh, I went to an off-road park, and there were a bunch of them running around. You know, people had trailered them up to this off-road park, and they were all, you know, whipping it up in the sand and, you know, going through mud and having a good old time. I'm like, ah, that looks like fun. Um, but like you say, you've got to have a dedicated trailer for it. Uh, and another person I know who's a PR person who works with one of the Japanese companies, uh I, I, to his credit, they bought one. He bought one for his, a four seater for his family, and they go to the other side of the state to the sand dunes twice a month, or twice, yeah, twice a twice a month during for the weekends to to go play. Mm. So, yeah, it's really no different than having a, a ski boat or something like that. But um, you know, it, I think they're probably taking over where a lot of people had the little Cushman trucksters and K trucks. Mm-hmm. Kai trucks from Japan for like landscaping vehicles and stuff like that for like at, at you know, my, uh, my employer has about 400 acres, 440 acres, something like that, that they have to manicure and take care of and trim the bushes. And they've got a bunch of the, the little ride on kind of golf carts, kind of Kai car little devices and i think those are all kind of going away and getting replaced by utvs <laughs> and i think a lot of atv sales are getting cannibalized from utvs and you know they i i think volkswagen sand rails and stuff like that unless you're truly southern california those are getting replaced by side by side uh, the sport models yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah i they're there's a lot of existing markets that are kind of going away and getting replaced with this UTV market. And I know there's a lot of dealers that say that they are afloat because of their UTV sales, that motorcycles and scooters and ATVs are not enough to keep them alive, but they're making money selling these. 
And I did read, uh, I think it was Power Sports Business, that uh, the average UTV sale, when you buy it new, you can count on about $1,000 worth of accessory sales. Wow. And that's not even after the fact. That's as you sell it. So, you know, people want gun racks. They want the LED light bars for them. They want uh, turf tires for it if they're going to be running it on, you know, lawns and golf courses and stuff. Uh Whatever it is you're going to use it for, you're either going to buy cool toys for it or you're going to need to spend money to kind of upfit it like you would a work truck. Mm -hmm. So, and of course, accessories are a better margin than the vehicles themselves. There's, there's a whole lot of people that their whole business is business model is you sell the vehicle and then you make your money off the parts and accessories and gear and clothing and everything else. So. It's like it's like a restaurant. You make five percent on the food, you make forty percent on the booze. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, one other thing I one other thing I saw there that I thought was really cool is I. It's actually been a couple years, and I didn't I wasn't aware of it. Simpson has brought back the original uh, pre Bandit uh, Darth Vader helmet. Oh, cool. what was originally the R RMX one is now the M thirty. And uh, it's now uh, definitely more lightweight. They, it's not Snell approved. It was Snell 80 or Snell 75 when it came out, and it got Snell approved in 80. And then uh, they got built under license by Helmtech for a couple of years, and then they was the Bandit, and they, and they kind of lost the original design there. Well, they brought back the original shape in a DOT lightweight helmet, uh, I do know it's paintable because they had a contest where they had about thirty different artists painting them, which was pretty cool. And they're 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 like matte gray, black and white are the only three colors are available in. But uh, I I had one in high school. That was when I bought my two hundred dollar Honda. I went out and bought a two hundred dollar helmet the next day, and uh, I would like. I would love to have one. I don't know how much I would use it, but uh, it, it was it was a really nice trip down memory lane, if nothing else. No, I remember when those were popular. When when custom helmet painting really kind of took off in the, I want to say the early '90s. It seems like two thirds of them were the were those helmets. Yeah, whether it was the original or or like you say the 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 licensed under kind of deal. So, um, yeah. so always there was always some some fun customizations you saw from those. So that, that's cool that they're doing that. Um, I, I kind of wish it could have, I, I had uh, time to go down there for this because for, for the show anyways, um, as with all those things, it's a good time to make contacts with industry people to set up interviews or just get more information that maybe just gleaning it from, from regular publications you don't, you don't get. So, but next year we'll do that. Especially because, yep. especially if it's going to be in Columbus again, that's three hours from from Detroit, so it's not that bad. So, have you been able to do anything on your bikes, or what um, have you been up to? No, I well, I think last time I talked, I was I had found that electronic ignition deal, and I have every intention of buying it here very soon. Uh, but I had to pay quarterly taxes recently, so that kind of killed most of my money. <laughs> You know, and with plus leaving some margin. So you're like, yeah, but it's like 200 bucks. I'm like, yeah, trust me. I cut it pretty tight having to pay quarterly taxes. So um, 
I, I've looked at it a few times, and that's about as far as I've gotten. So I think in the next few weeks I'll order it, and as I, as I told Garrett, I'll rebuild the carburetors one more time, and I'll get it running just in time to drain the gas for winter. <laughs> yeah, well, I uh, have I been on since I tried to take my Honda to work? I think I I think I talked about that. Yeah, I don't I think know if that it was, was just the... with you guys or yeah. Any anyways, I I uh, sorted that all out and and now I'm having problems with it it uh, having very strange carburation problems when it's on the main jet. If you if you putter around low speed, it's great. As soon as you and let's face it, if you're doing 35 40 miles an hour, it's high speed. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. And uh, but if you get it up on the main jet and you're up in the higher RPMs, it'll be fine for ten or fifteen seconds, and then it'll start to stumble like it's running out of gas. But if you roll off the throttle and roll it back on, it's fine again, and it's fine for a couple seconds, and then it'll start stuttering again. You roll it, just twist the throttle a little bit, and it comes right back. And then so I'm like, I don't know if it's starving for fuel. I don't know if it's dirty jets. I don't know if it's weird. So there you know, weird air bleed holes in that area that are clogged? Yeah, I haven't taken the carburetor apart. I, I took the bowl off and replaced the needle and seat, but I haven't done anything with it because I haven't had it running well enough to discover this prior. So gotcha. I'm going to mess with that. And uh, on the Boltaco, I actually just today went out and bought the uh, uh, square tube square steel tube uh, channel, not channel, but uh, I guess it's just square tubes for 2 by 3 inch 11 gauge tube for a chop source uh, frame jig. Because oh. I got into all of the frame and trying to align stuff, I realized I need to be able to measure stuff really accurately and make sure that everything is lining up straight and you just can't do it even with a laser, you can't do it by hand. You can't just prop stuff up. You really need to bolt it into a the mm-hmm. frame into a jig. And I had somebody say, "Oh, that I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Chop Source makes a a kind of a uh, hamburger helper for frame jig building. That they they have all these nice little plates and bolts, and the whole thing just bolts together, and it's adjustable, and it's really slick, and all their parts that you need for precision are all either laser cut or water cut or something like that and they're all accurate so you put it all together and they've got like nice little diamonds in the side of the plates that you can use to measure you know height and width and mm-hmm. distance width and and uh so you can see how unsquare your frame is right and and it's and it's just all uh kind of idiot proof and I had somebody going, oh, they they charge too much for that. You could do it yourself a whole lot cheaper. And I said, yeah, but I, I you know, I, I want it to be accurate. And this is a nice, easy, simple way to get something that not only is accurate, but it doesn't, none of it's welded together. So you can adjust it, take it apart, store it in a, you know, under your workbench, do whatever. I was like, it, it really works. And he's like, well, if you can't build your own jig, you got no business building a motorcycle. And I thought, yeah, but there's also the flip side is, you cannot build anything to a precision better than your best ruler. Right, you know, right. if you're gonna if you're gonna do this yourself and you get it wrong, you have no hope of of being. And this kind of has a lot of built-in accuracy. So I'm gonna 
I'm going to splurge for a for the not their super deluxe rotisserie kit, but just the the bare bones kind of just enough to hold the swing arm pivot and the and the uh, steering head where they need to be, which is really all you need to do measurements. If you're building a, jig, uh, building a frame from, you know, bending tube and welding it together, yeah, you need that. But for alignment and measuring, I yeah. can get away with that. So. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That'll be good. Yeah. So, uh, and I, and I, I, you know, I told you the story before, but I, this all started with a, a YZ monoshock swing arm and I've been messing with trying to put in a mono. I finally... I happen to see a picture online of a really nice converted Boltaco purse thing they've been turned into a road racer that was just a dual shock. And I thought this would be so much easier if I didn't hadn't spent a year jacking around with try to have, <laughs> squeeze that shock in. And I realized I'm going to have all kinds of carburetor clearance problems with this. And I thought, you know what? I went out and I have to say, going back to Yamaha and there's parts been engineering, it's really great that – I went out and I found out that a DT-175 swing arm from that year uses exactly the same swing arm bearings or the swing arm bushings and and uh, uh, pivot bolt and everything. So I was like, I went out and for 30 bucks on eBay, I found one. And I'm like, you know what? We're going back to dual shocks and I'm not even going to do – it was the whole point of starting it was, hey, I could do something with this cool swing arm. I was like, no, no. It's it's going back on the shelf and I'm going to make this a whole lot easier on myself, which is one of the reasons I need the jig right. is because now my tail section that I'm building is going to support the, the, the shocks. So it needs to be a little bit more robust. It's not just something to hang your butt on. So right, right. that's where I was like, okay, I really need to start – treating this like a real project so <laughs> so i got that going on i got the frame jig i got uh at some point i'm gonna take my 125 carburetor apart and i also have done a lot of research into how easily an xr200 motor will fit in that frame because <laughs> i was i it all started with trying to figure out what i needed to do to train put it in uh convert it to 12 volt so that i could run led lights and get a little bit better lighting out of it and that rabbit hole led me to, wow, you make one little trim on the frame in this one spot, and you can put an XR200 motor in there, or you can get an XL200 motor and get like 168 watts of power out of the state. I was like, oh, I could just go down a rabbit hole here and spend so much time and money that I don't have. So I'm, I'm really torn between do I just get it running nicely and sell it to somebody so i have money to work on the other one or, or does this become a legitimate second ongoing project for the years to come because you know i'd is, like to upgrade the, the brakes upgrade the, the those, electrics upgrade the power uh I, I think the correct answer to that is yes <laughs> yeah you if if if, you, if you're going to keep it and, and again, I'm totally getting away from the whole point of buying this was, oh, it'll be like my my uh, relive my days in high school riding. It'll it'll be just like it. And I've replaced so much on it already. It, it doesn't feel or act anything like the one I had. It's louder. It's got different gauges on it. It, you know, it just it's a whole different experience already. So it's like, well, OK, it seems to me my initial the point of taking on a project and where it ends up 
totally unrelated in both cases. Yeah, yeah. It's usually how it goes with projects. <laughs> yep. Well, should we wrap up? Uh, I think that's probably a good place to uh, to stop. Uh, it's been great having you back on. I'm sorry I missed Garrett, but uh, I know his his life is probably about as demanding as mine has been. So yeah, he and I are trying to figure out a regular schedule for both of us, and um, it's my life is calming down. His is getting busier, so you know that's usually how it goes. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll, uh, we'll figure it out, and we'll get. Uh, We'll get the the three amigos back uh, back on for one show before the end of the year, anyways. Well, yeah, and and continue to you know you just kind of shot me a text today and said, "Hey, are you free this evening?" And if I can, I will. Yeah. So cool. It's good to, good to have you back on, and hopefully things are going well on the home front. For, and um, we'll you know we'll, we'll be as good as they can be, I guess. So for those who longtime listeners will know what we're talking about, and those of you who are who aren't. Uh, go back about ten shows, and you'll get the you'll get the general gist of it. So we don't need to go any more than that. So well, the the, the thing is, you can have bad times, but you can still feel good about doing the right thing and being responsible. So exactly taking care of the people around you. Exactly. All right. So with that, uh, Pete, as always, thanks. It's great to great to catch up with you. And uh, until we talk to you again, have fun, be good. Most importantly, keep it on two wheels. We'll talk with you soon. Bye-bye.